Welcome to the Monday Minute of the Hunt Back Country podcast. These are shorter and more informal episodes where we answer listener questions. Joined today by Steve. How are you, man? Doing great. Yeah, really good. Getting Wrapping up the, oh, we're all caught up from Black Friday shipping and now just uh, kind of things get on cruise control here for the rest of December. And it's nice. Yeah. Just since you mentioned it, uh, caught up on shipping, we're back to shipping essentially next business day. If people happen to be buying for gifts or asking for gifts from EXO, uh, we do have updates on shipping timelines. But essentially, if you want to order with flat rate shipping, the last day to order would be the 14th, which is later this week. And then there's obviously some expedited shipping options um, we can ship later. But all those details are on there. And also, it gets overlooked a lot and then comes up this time of year. We do also have uh, gift cards, and those are instant delivery. So whether you're shopping for yourself, asking for something on your Christmas list, list, or shopping for hunting buddy, just uh, some quick EXO stuff there. But Steve, diving in to listener questions today, we have some follow-ups to the gear of the year stuff. um, Okay. Which we can get to shortly. But uh, let's start with the speak pipe question about... Hunting Alaska, even if it means missing out on other opportunities. Hey guys, love the podcast and the packs. Um, this is kind of an unfair question because it could be different for each person, but I was invited to go to Alaska in August on a um, caribou hunt from the Hall Road, but in order for me to do that, I would realistically, I would have to not hunt in my home state of Utah for a year. My question to you guys is, would it be worth it to you to not hunt in your home state and not hunt the traditional deer and elk in order to go have an adventure like a caribou hunt in Alaska? All right. That question came through from Travis. Thanks for, uh, sending that question in and listeners just so you know if you want to leave an audio message like that you can do it there's a link in the show description and you can basically use any device and just ask us a question on audio like that but thanks travis steve that's definitely a relevant question that uh i remember all the way back to 2019 that was my first trip to alaska and i remember you at that time we were planning this caribou hunt for 2019 and you talking about that very specific thing of the timing of the caribou hunt and how that affected obviously archery elk and deer for you in Idaho. So I know you thought about it in 2019 and have obviously had some other experiences since. So what's your take? It's a great question. And obviously it's, you know, it's going to be an individual answer for, for every single person. It just depends on where you're at in your life and you know what, yeah, sounds like for him, it's, you know, maybe it's a family issue as far as just being away from the wife and kids uh, or the wife kind of cracks the whip maybe, or, uh, or work issue, right? Like I can only take so many days off of work and, uh, I would, I mean, a lot, if Alaska is at all on your bucket lists, I would take, take advantage of the opportunity. The problem with Alaska is, uh, it's like, it's like hunting cocaine. Once you try it, you're pretty much hooked. Like you're going to be going <laughs> back one way or another, uh, you know, you're going to be fine because there's ways to like the haul road is can be a pretty dang affordable hunt. I would mm-hmm. say it made me think of there are crappy Alaska experiences to be had, right? Like I go back to the first moose hunt that we did. That was just not, it wasn't, you know, for your first trip up to Alaska, this all this 
you know, kind of grand images in your head. And it was not that at all. It was still, you know, looking back, it was like, I don't, I'm glad I did the hunt and learned a lot and applied it to the next hunt. So it was not like a, it's all bittersweet, but they're definitely like, you know, there's, you can go up there and have poor experiences. The, there was another caribou hunt. Um, I was talking to a guy the other day, you know, and they just had a miserable experience and you could tell the, the Arctic um, where they are, they're hunting up in the Arctic and the, the people just didn't care about the people running the operation just didn't, they knew they were dropping the hunters off where they weren't going to see caribou, but it's more just like, well, we'll just get them out there and, you know, hope for the best, but really they're just dropping people off knowing they're going to have a terrible time. Mm-hmm. And so you can, you can certainly book a hunt. That's not going to be that awesome. But if he's going, going back to this guy, he's going with people that have done this hunt before in the past that uh, have the logistics kind of dialed in and, and they invited you to jump at that opportunity. I've never done that all road hunt. I've heard it can be, pretty fun i think it could also be pretty tough uh, i know there's that um i remember that i want to say it's like for the first five miles you can bow hunt and then after that you can rifle hunt or two my something like that is. two or yeah I think five it is you got to get away from the road with a with a gun but I've, I've talked to buddies who have done that hunt and had a had a really cool experience and i think it's a unique way i haven't personally done that just you know fly up there, rent a car and just drive forever. Like I imagine the things you see along the road, it's going to be pretty stinking awesome. Yeah. Where are you? Where are your, what's your head go to? Yeah. I was thinking the same thing of, especially if this invitation is guys with experience, because going back to your point, yeah. Steve, sometimes if you're headed into an Alaska hunting opportunity, you're not, it hasn't been vetted like personally by someone, you know, and trust, then it, there's some risk to that, of course, but um, you know, if these, if these guys have done it, they've enjoyed it, they kind of have it dialed and figured out, that's a tough opportunity to pass up, assuming caribou and that style of caribou hunting is something you want to do. So like big picture, I think, man, what hunter doesn't want to go to Alaska? And at some point, if that means sacrificing what has been your primary hunting season in your, in your home state, yeah, like that sacrifice is going to be worth it if the Alaska experience is what you want. Like I, you know, if this, this guy like asking, for example, is like diehard set on another species or another part of the state or even a fly in opportunity. Like, well, maybe don't quote unquote settle for the hall road. Cause maybe that's not what you want, but yeah, if, if it's just an Alaskan experience you're after and these guys have some experience and they're inviting you and that, that would be tough to pass up. And, um, you can wait. I mean, maybe at a different stage of life, like you said, Steve, whether it's family or work, maybe at a different stage of life, you would have more time to hunt Alaska and hunt at home or at other places in the lower 48. But playing that whole maybe later game is a tough game to play. I mean, later and maybe may never happen. So, yeah, if it's your, if you've never been, you got an opportunity, man, I'd jump at it. And that, Another thing I know I've said before, but if, if you're going on your first Alaska hunt, like do your absolute best to have like know somebody who's done this hunt, like have a really good referral. Again, there, I think there's just so many bad opportunities to be had that like really try to do your you know due diligence and make sure that whoever you're booking the hunt through, assuming you're using some type of you know guide outfitter and or air taxi service make sure that you've got a really good reference. I just hear too many stories of 
crappy ones and experienced it myself. All right. Diving into um, a follow-up on maps. And this is you know somewhat from the gear of the year, which is uh, the podcast we put out last week, you and I, Steve. And we talked about Onyx and how have all these years that not been part of the gear of the year. Uh, mm-hmm. And then we touched on how we also probably only scratched the surface on what we can do with Onyx. Um, to answer that quickly first, we actually, it, this is funny timing. So we put out that podcast last week on Wednesday. And that very day, we had a podcast scheduled with Dylan from Onyx. And honestly, that that timing was coincidental. We had scheduled a podcast with Dylan for weeks prior and had to reschedule it due to some illness. And so here we are talking about Onyx publicly on this podcast. And then later that day, have an opportunity to speak with Dylan from Onyx. I say all that to say, I'm going to go ahead and put out that podcast with Dylan from Onyx this week. So this Wednesday, the next full-length episode is going to be about Onyx and some of the features uh, that you and I, Steve, learned about on that conversation mm-hmm. with Dylan. Um, so there's more to come on that. And then just to follow up, we had some listeners reach out because uh, you mentioned, Steve, like, hey, in addition to Onyx, there's base map and this and that and the other. Um, so mm-hmm. we had some guys reach out and just share the other options that they use. And one that was at the top of the list to look at uh, was CalTopo, which um, is it's funny for me to think of CalTopo because I started using it probably a decade ago on the desktop. And it was a great source at that time, one of the best free sources of mapping. Um, and it's since gone to a mobile app and has offline and they've really just improved it. So it is a, a great one to look at if people haven't. So I want to make sure that that was aware um, as another option to look at with mapping is CalTopo. And just big picture, um, you know, it, it's just worth cross-referencing as many sources as you can, especially mm-hmm. before the hunt. So yes, during the hunt, like it could be overwhelming to go into the hunt and into the field with multiple apps and managing multiple uh, apps with offline access and downloading this and that and the other thing. But I would just say, especially as you're planning a hunt, like making cross references between Onyx and CalTopo uh, and BaseMap, Google Earth. Uh, there's back other ones like the Backcountry Navigator and uh, GeoMaps. I mean, there's so many these days that, um, yeah. The more the merrier, in my opinion, especially as you're planning and e-scouting and looking at country. So, um, yeah, there's a lot out there. I'll leave links to a handful of these options that exist in addition to Onyx. So that way, if you guys are listening, just want to check out like what else is out there. Um, I'll leave links to those in the show description for this one. Next one that also came up, Steve. Um, in relation to the gear of the year was the phone scope you mentioned and mm-hmm. uh a couple questions there the the first one is pretty self-explanatory but uh some guys were wondering if you were using the universal adapter or if you had specific adapters for your spotting scope and then a different attachment or adapter for the binos i actually i don't know that i was aware that there was a universal adapter for phone scope so i had to look it up but essentially yeah it's that universal adapter. You can kind of ratchet down to any size. Do you have any experience with it? Okay. No experience. Yeah. Same, same as you. You said universal <laughs> adapters. Like, huh? Uh, yeah. Uh, no idea what that is. Yeah. 
Okay. Uh, I can imagine it. Obviously something that yeah, yes. you twist and it changes the diameter of the opening. But no, yeah, yeah. I had the very the specific one. I, said, I mentioned that I think in the podcast where I'd ordered it for the SIG Zulu 6s. And then it just happened to fit on my peers as well, uh, which I was, you know, I guess, I guess not that shocking. Most binoculars are pretty similar in size, but the fact that it just fits so nicely, I was kind of shocked. So you in the field, you have your, your phone with your phone scope case, and then you essentially have an adapter for your binos, an adapter for your spotter. And if you want to move between optics, you have to kind of reconfigure the attachment yeah that's the kick that's i mean that's what i was knocking phone scope from a design standpoint you gotta like pull the whole phone out to i guess yeah you gotta pull the to be able to take that whole kind of adapter part on and off i gotta take the entire phone out of the case it's a it's a clunky design but it works i mean but yeah i would i mean i don't think i ever packed both this year because i wasn't it was either yeah I, I think the times i just packed the the binocular one, like you would have the spline scope in your pack or something like that. I was mm-hmm. never in a situation, but they weigh that particular piece is a quarter of an ounce or something. I mean, it weighs absolutely nothing. The other question that came up, and this was highlighted especially because we talked about the benefits of using the 3X optical zoom lens. Uh, so the, basically a question came up was with the iPhones, and obviously this applies to other phones as well, but with phones, having multiple physical lenses with different functions that also mm-hmm. means different placement. So how do you align to digiscope and do you have to like reconfigure things if you want to move between the one X kind of like standard optical lens versus the three X optical zoom lens? Yeah. Well, I guess phone scope on this regard, they just have it set up. So you're either you cut when you attach the main kind of bracket to the, the cell phone case, you either, either slide it down to click in or slide it up and you're going between the one X and three X lens. And then when you, I will, you had to use the phone scope specific app. Cause I think iPhone, when you um, just go into the camera and you tap three X lens, it's still using somehow the image from the one X. It's kind of weird. Um, but if you go into the, um, you got the phone scope set up and you click the 3x lens you get like this kind of weird image and you actually have to download the phone scope app which i think disables the 1x camera entirely so it's just using the 3x optical lens and then you can take photos from inside there um kind of a weird you know, i'm sure iphones yeah got some tricks it's pulling to do things whatever right yeah but uh um yeah so cool. that i i think that's i don't know i can't speak to any android phone or google phone how those work with the phone scope and if they're doing the same things but on the iphone that that's how it works that's definitely something that um well one phone scope kind of they do have um a helpful article about this so i can include that and then as you said they do have an adjustment on the physical device but then also their app which is also very helpful um so i feel like phone scope is more compatible with multi-lens setups than some of the other adapters I've used. Um, you know, one thing, for example, like I used the Allen setup last mm-hmm. year pretty extensively, and this was less to do with digiscoping and more for photos, but, um, you know, the Allen case and the way that it's set up to design, 
I really like it. I like how it attaches magnetically and self-aligns and it doesn't really disturb like say a spotting scope when you already have it set up on target and then you attach the phone. That's all very seamless. I, there's a lot to like about it. One thing that bugged me was their case on my iPhone blocked the 0.5 lens. Now I wasn't using the 0.5 lens to digiscope, but just on a hunt, I will use the 0.5 lens at time to take photos. And, you know, it just works really well for like capturing these grand like views and stuff like that. And in particular, I remember on my mountain goat hunt last fall, I was, you know, needing to have the the phone case on to digiscope goats with because I really wanted to do that. But then I would have to like pop my phone out of the phone case if I ever wanted to use the 0.5 lens. Uh, and that was annoying. So that's less about digiscoping, but just to say, if you start to look at digiscoping cases and connections, be aware of multi lenses, both for digiscoping, but also is it just blocking the use of lenses, even just for photography or for video? Um, so there's a you know, digiscoping. There's there's more setups out there these days, but there's also like all these like nuanced pros and cons and stuff like that to yeah. consider. Not definitely not envious of someone trying to make a no <laughs> a phone a phone scope type thing a digiscope type thing because there's eight million different phones and I mean it just just iPhone alone you'd have to be compatible with you know six different generations and then within the generations there's always four or five models and sizes like that'd be a yeah. freaking nightmare yeah uh, then one thing I skipped over I just leave it I set mine up and put it on that three X optical and just leave it there all the time I don't I've never in the field like oh I want to bounce back out to one X Mm-hmm. They, there's a couple times if something's close, it takes a little bit of, t- you're zoomed so far in, even, you know, you're, so you're on the three X optical and you back the spine scope all the way out to its lowest magnification of 20 or, you know, 25, like on that Koa that, mm-hmm. uh, you're zoomed pretty far in. So it's, it takes a little bit of time to find what you're after where though, you know, you'd find it a little quicker if you had the one X lens, but for the most part, uh, yeah, I've always just put it in that because you're at the end of the day, you're trying to get up a nice zoomed up image of whatever animal you're looking at. So I just always have it in that three X. This is a good timing as well. (laughs) A question came up pretty recently from a listener. Uh, Let me just go ahead and read part of it. He said, how do you go about planning a death hike route? I'm working on putting together my first ever death hike. I'm from Nebraska and have very, uh, and I have a few different ideas in mind, but I was wondering what you would suggest for miles and time. Right now, I'm aiming to develop a loop that is greater than 30 miles, which I will try to complete in a weekend. I don't know if those are good metrics, but I'm hoping that it will challenge me and also add to my backpacking experience. There isn't much elevation out here, but I'm hoping to set a course that covers some difficult terrain. Um, Some of the areas of our state do have steep canyons. And then for timing, he said, I'm looking to complete this sometime in early April. yeah, there's some other details that are in there. So he also mentioned later in there, um, in addition to just time and distance, do you have any suggestions on what I can do to increase the mental challenge? For example, I thought about some night hiking and hiking without a headlamp, but that's about it. So I'm just wondering what suggestions you have for developing a route and creating a good challenge. There's a lot in there, Steve. We could talk for a long time. Mm-hmm. There's some very specific things that I think we could talk about because we've tried. But just start with, and I know this is tough, but like time and distance. Like 
Yeah. We don't know his capabilities and terrain, but what are some what are some guidelines you'd give him to look at? Yeah. Listen, first of all, freaking awesome this guy's wanting to do this. Yeah. Like do it. You won't regret it. You're gonna learn a lot. Uh it's so you some things you'll you won't even realize you learned until six months down the road. So mm-hmm. just do it. If you're thinking about it right now, don't back away from it. Just do it. As far as timing goes, you can pretty much use if it's on trail, use three miles an hour as your kind of default moving. Like you're going to move a little bit faster than that. But then if you stop and take breaks, kind of averages out to, to three. If you're, I guess, I'm assuming if this guy's thinking about doing this, um, well, he's either in good shape or he wants to get in good shape. Either way, you should be in, you know, don't try it like just you just got off the couch and go try this you need to train and get ready for it so you should be trained up and ready enough that you're going to move it you know the super light pack on it more than like three and a half miles an hour three and a quarter and then you take your breaks and kind of brings it right down around to three that's on like you know known like if you're on let's say <laughs> like if you're on onyx and it says hiking trail then you should be able to figure that out but obviously there's we learned that with like Frank church stuff. So like, just cause it's a trail that existed 30 years ago, doesn't mean it's actually a, a real trail that's easily hikeable. Yeah. So find your trails, then do some research on, you know, the, probably the very first thing I would do is just get in. Like sometimes I'll bounce between Google earth and Onyx for aerial imagery, just depending on where it's at. One could possibly have better resolution and my experience. Then I'm just going to zoom way in tight and try to find that trail and just see like if, if it's a clearly identifiable trail, then you're good to go. If you're like, it shows a trail right here, but I'm having a tough time picking it up. Doesn't always mean it's not there. Um, it just means it's not like very well established. So look for that. If you're off trail, if this whole 30 mile loop he wants to do is off trail, then yeah, go ahead and throw in one mile an hour. And that's probably that's generally worst case scenario been in some pretty nasty areas and, and you can, you know, especially in the, like in a death hike setting where you are just moving, uh, you, you know, you're going to still average that one mile an hour. So, you know, if it's all off trail, just plan on a 30 mile hike, one mile an hour. It's pretty simple math, 30, 30 hours of hiking. If it's all established trail, you should be able to do that. And, you know, I went 10 hours would be to be able to maintain that three mile an hour average over 30 miles is probably a little bit of a stretch, but I would say you're 12 to 15 hours. If you're in really good shape, just knock that out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, And yeah, if he, if he mentions just doing a loop route, that's obviously the easiest um, way to do it. As far as you don't need it, you know, someone doesn't have to drop you off. You don't have a shuttle rig, things like that. All of that. We've never done a loop route on the hikes. I like the the concept of just like covering through country and not kind of circling back around. Like it's a kind of a different. I don't know. You just feel like you accomplish more by going like in a straight line. You zoom back out, look at the map, and go, "Holy crap, we went from there all the way to there." So we've always dealt with dropping, you know, multiple rigs off at the like last year. We dropped we a bunch of us met at the finish, left rigs there. And then took as few vehicles as possible up to the start line uh, and started that way. And that's been most hikes is kind of in some format like that. Yeah. So when he says, he, I mean, he did say greater than 30 miles, but he didn't say what. And then he said trying to complete it in a weekend. 
I don't want to say that that's too easy, but I will say if you said, okay, I have like two full, full days and say 30 miles and it is mostly trail, that probably is too easy <laughs> for it to be like, a, a, yeah, I mean, I mean, you're coming from, but if, again, if it's like all on trail and it's just like, okay, I'm just going to go 15 miles today and then I'm going to like set up camp and backpack. And then go 15 miles tomorrow to get back to where I started. Like it's, it's, I'm not saying it's easy, but it's probably not terrible either. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. It just all depends. I mean, it, is this guy 60 or 26? Right? Like, yeah. We just don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if, ne- if you've never done more than like two or three miles on a trail, 15 in a day sounds like a death hike, right? Yeah. Uh, so just all perspective. That, that's, <laughs> I mean, think of the, uh, I love that saying um, that like hard doesn't exist, right? Like there, like one guy's hard is another guy's walk in the park. Hard mm-hmm. is just a mental block in your mind. And uh, so, but whatever hard is to you, you know, go double that and go try it. He did mention in here that uh, this stood out to me and I could be reading too much into things, but he said, um, I'm hoping that it will be a challenge, but also add to my backpacking experience. And that stood out to me because I, and I, I don't know what he means by adding my backpacking experience, but I will say that the the idea of a death hike and covering ground and gaining miles and doing that in a compressed time window can be very different than just gaining backpacking experience. If by backpacking experience, you mean like more nights in shelter or figuring things out or cooking or other logistics about just backpacking, right? Um, They certainly go together, but I would just say that you may want to, if your goal is to have a death hike, do a death hike. And then if your goal is to gain backpacking experience do some more casual backpacking where you are looking at things like shelter and uh, site selection and, you know, more time spent on kind of living versus just moving, I guess would be my way to put it. Um, On a death hike, you're very focused on moving generally. And then there's like this somewhat minimal amount of here's what I need to do to also live. Whereas by backpacking, backpacking experience if you mean i want to learn more about living in the backcountry sometimes that means slowing down you're not moving as much but you're just learning more about living in the backcountry so that's something that stood out to me as well yeah i agree with like everything you said there just there's gonna be a lot of lessons learned um from doing the hike and maybe not as specific to backpacking backpacking as far as living out there but um it's yeah just invaluable go do it what are your thoughts on added somewhat, I don't want to say artificial, but added oh, right. challenges yeah. like creating things like, oh, hiking at night without a headlamp? Because that makes me think of our, I don't know what year that was, 2020, the bear hunt death hike, where we had all the like envelopes and surprises and challenges. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I think they're absolutely worth it. You just you, The problem, with, and then I've found here with like probably the last four or five death hikes, like trying to there's you can only control so many variables that trying to push to the very kind of edge of what we're capable of 
which I guess is, you know, to be determined. Um, there's so many other variables that are out of our control that it's been, it's been really hard to essentially the 2016 hike was the, the hardest we've ever done. And we had this conversation last year about like, I don't know if we can do a hard one again, because uh, we, we've learned so many lessons on, on how to kind of manage them and make them easier. Right. Like we don't have the, you know, the, the first hundred mile or where everyone's feet were blowing up and there's just, we just learned all these lessons that it's getting harder. And like, we keep making the hikes harder, but they keep kind of, I want to say getting easier, but they're, um, they're not getting, we haven't been able to replicate that. The one where people are at the end of the day puking and like, yeah, really, I think we really make fewer mistakes. Essentially. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, certainly add hike at night, plan, you know, go maybe when it's really cold. Like, I don't know what April's like, he said he's in Nebraska. Like maybe it's maybe bump that to February or something like that. Like add a, mm-hmm. add a cold element to it or, Heat's a little bit scary because, um, you know, I think heat and water and passing out like that. There's probably more dangers out in the heat than there would be in the cold, but um, I could be wrong on that. But I would say, uh, like we're talking about next year, um, at the beginning of this, you said timely because just on Friday night, I sent out an email to the kind of whole group of Death Hike guys said, hey, we have our uh, EXO Christmas party this Friday night and. I just wanted to like get a bug in everybody's ear. Like, Hey, next year's the 10 year anniversary. Like start coming up with some ideas. Uh, let's chat about like a good portion of the guys will that do the hike every year. will be there at the Christmas party. And uh, let's start chatting through some ideas and brainstorming things. And the, the only thing that I said is I'd like to go earlier in the year, like a March, April, May timeline to um, this next year's just got a lot going on. We're gonna have a lot of kind of events, I, uh, golf tournament's going to be one of them, definitely making that thing happen. And so getting the death hike kind of knocked out earlier in the year, it sounds like appealing, which means heading either dealing with a lot of snow or heading south uh, and doing something where maybe heat is potentially an issue. And that's kind of like, man, you know, you're just dealing with, with heat and dehydration and potential lack of water. That's uh, it's a recipe for, you know, things could get tough. It'd be interesting. I'm uh excited for this guy genuinely like we said it's and yeah. we've said this so many times when the death hike comes up like you may not be able to come join us with what we do but definitely create a plan go do something and like even if this guy goes and he sets this route and it ends up being quote unquote too easy well good now he has a baseline to do something more challenging in the future or on the flip side if he goes and destroys himself maybe doesn't finish good now you have a goal to work towards so either way like um, do as best you can to plan but like everything else just like a hunt like you're gonna have to adapt and you're gonna learn from the experience no matter what and then you just take that experience into the next adventure so kudos to him for doing it uh and hopefully more listeners hop on and create something themselves and uh yeah steve will definitely have to share more about uh whatever plan we come up with for 2024 and see what we do well, as always, guys, appreciate all of the questions. Uh, again, you can leave us an audio message through SpeakPipe by looking for the link in the show description or just send us an email to podcast at exomountgear.com. We'd love to add your questions to the list for future Monday Minute episodes. And then if you haven't yet, just whatever podcast app you're using, hit subscribe or follow so that you receive future episodes automatically. As I mentioned, we have a cool episode coming out with Onyx this week and just much more to come both for the rest of this year and then on into 2024. So excited to have you guys along. Appreciate the support and we'll talk to you soon.